Kia ora. Welcome to the Alighter Touch podcast, keeping you in touch with the knowledge to help Kiwi growers manage pests and diseases in their crops with a lighter environmental touch. Kia ora. Hello. I'm Livia Esterhazy, and this is our first episode in a three-part series on the effective transfer of new knowledge or concepts to farmers and growers, a practice otherwise known as extension. In it, we'll be exploring insights on the challenges faced, how to apply best practice, and a deep dive into one of the most popular extension models. This series was inspired by a webinar we hosted, titled Strategies to Encourage Grower Adoption of New Technologies. The recording is linked in the podcast notes if you want to check it out. We designed the webinar for agronomists, researchers, and advisors, essentially anyone whose work involves the transfer of new knowledge or concepts to growers. The webinar featured four extension experts who we'll be introducing throughout the three episodes of this podcast. The first of our experts we'll hear from is Denise Busel, Principal at Scarlatti, who has years of experience managing agricultural knowledge transfer projects here in Aotearoa, New Zealand and in Australia. So let's start with our first question. Extension, what is it? Extension is a tool for facilitating change on farm, on orchard, amongst landowners, whatever, whoever it is that you're working with. The role of extension is to accelerate adoption by reducing the time and effort farmers must invest in learning. If you work in the industry, you'll know that while this definition is simple, it's actually really tricky to apply. We know that farm systems are diverse and there are many challenges that growers face, which ultimately affect the success of any extension project. Another of our webinar experts, Dr. Jeff Kane, Senior Researcher at Manaki Whenua Landcare Research, talks us through some of these challenges. Introducing a new technology or practice into a farm system is risky because systems are complex. So adopting a technology or changing a management practice, adopting an innovation, is highly engaging for growers because change creates, to some degree, risks for in terms of income, lifestyle, social and experiential feelings. This means growers will devote a lot of time and effort to predicting the consequences of adopting a technology or changing a management practice. What that implies is that there is usually a very good reason why a grower does not adopt an innovation that apparently will generate obvious benefits. So understanding the individual grower and their farm system is critical to the extension approach. But that still doesn't solve the challenge that agronomists and extensionists often face, which is how to help the grower get past the initial barrier of trialling a new crop management method, whether that's in dealing with issues like herbicide resistance or pest pressure. Dr Trevor James, senior scientist at Ag Research, who was also one of our webinar experts, gives us a really nice way to think about this when he discusses how to approach changing farm practices around weed management. Probably the first thing is to get rid of the idea that this is a huge problem, but it is a solvable problem. And the behaviour change that we would be looking at them needing to make doesn't necessarily need to be a big one. But it does need, a, you know, a little bit of education and the acceptance of a few more ideas. For some things, it might be uh, an initial outlay with, with equipment. Um, 
It's, it's interesting that in my career, this equipment was largely there when I started, but I saw the shift away from cultural methods into herbicide uh, control of weeds to the point where that was exclusive. And, you know, this equipment might still be there rusting away in a corner, um, but now we've gone the full cycle, as I say, in my career. And and so it, it it shouldn't be too hard. They mm. were controlling weeds without herbicides when I started, and we just need to get back there. So yeah. it, it's kind of that shift. Things have changed, and uh, intensification has increased, but uh, they're not problems that are insurmountable. As you know, that's my opinion. We absolutely agree, Trevor. So now that we've defined extension and understand a little more about the complexity that growers face, we're going to take a look at the steps you can take to ensure it'll be successful. According to Denise, there are four key steps to any successful extension project. Step number one is understand the change required. This lays a foundation for the extension work ahead. It can be used to rationalise the expenditure required, determine the extension project plan and evaluate your efforts. Without a clear and documented understanding of the change required, it is easy to jump ahead into planning your extension activities and events. And whether you've got only a little bit of resource or a lot, we'd like to share a framework that Denise uses to reverse engineer your extension project goals. The framework is called Bennett's Hierarchy. It looks like a ladder and it describes the seven levels of change required for extension. At the top of the ladder is the impact you'd like your extension program to have. As you descend the ladder, each level describes the steps needed to achieve your desired impact. So let's listen to Denise as she talks about starting at the top of Bennett's hierarchy and working through the question it asks in each of the descending steps. What's the big picture outcome of the change where we're really looking for? Therefore, what needs to be in place, what practice change needs to be in place for that to happen? Then it says, okay, if you've got the what practice changes are needed, well then what CASA change? Um, and by CASA, what we mean is what knowledge, attitude, skills, and aspirational change might need to be in place for that practice change to happen for you then to get your outcomes. Um, Moving down the ladder, if you've got CASA change in place, what reactions are needed? Um, so that's level four. To get reactions, then you need people. Um, so who are the people that kind of talks to um, the next part of what we need to, to uh, work through? Then what activities and the inputs? But it's really thinking about that top half of that framework that helps us unpack what we're really talking about. Because yeah, we can often kind of go be like, oh, we just we need to get everyone adopting um, integrated weed management. We need to understand um, integrated pest management, but we actually need often need to break it down to specific things like uh, mite management, like uh, downy mildew management. So actually being quite specific uh, rather than uh, keeping it at that general to be able to understand the change we're looking for. There's a lot in there, and we've got another episode that explains Bennett's hierarchy in more detail with questions for you to work through. You can find the link to that episode and a visual resource of Bennett's hierarchy in the podcast notes. But to Denise's point, the key to this step is being very specific about the big picture impact your extension program is enabling. 
The second step to ensuring a successful extension program is to define your target audience. This is one of the more complex and critical steps, and we've heard earlier from Jeff there are many factors which influence whether a grower chooses to adopt a new technology or practice. Your extension audience should include growers in the best position to make your desired changes on their farm. These are the early adopters, for whom the extension makes perfect sense. One of the questions we explored during the webinar was whether targeting early adopters is like preaching to the converted. Denise makes it clear that this is actually a key part of extension. We're there to reduce the risk and, and reduce the time that it actually does take so that things can happen faster. So the, the, the pool of potential adopters who were going to do this, who were thinking that, you know, maybe this was a good idea or what, maybe weren't aware of it, but their conditions are right, um, will be like, oh yeah, and it actually will, will occur quicker. That's Extension's role. In defining this audience, you not only clarify exactly who the extension is designed for, but also understand some of the factors that affect their decision to adopt. We have another episode that will go into more detail about how to define your target audience. Check out the link to this in the podcast notes. So to summarise, step two is defining a clear audience of potential early adopters whose conditions are ripe for uptake. Okay, so the third step to ensuring a successful extension project is mapping activities and events which connect with this target audience and support the desired change. If you've got understanding that change, you've got your audience in mind, then mapping out your activities really kind of falls into place after that. And then if funders or others are challenging you about why you're doing something, you can actually show you know, the logic of why you're doing things. It also then gives you a way of monitoring and evaluating what you're doing because you've you, you've actually documented, you know, what the changes, who your audience is, what the activities are, and you've got points that you can evaluate um, as part of that. So I think it's worth going through this type of process, um, not only to ensure that you've got an effective extension program, but also to demonstrate that you've actually got an effective extension program. Now, what do we mean when we say activities and events that connect with this target audience and support the desired change? Trevor shares some of the activities and events used as part of a five-year program of work with arable farmers and grape growers to minimise herbicide resistance in New Zealand. So these are field days, group meetings, seminars, webinars, whatever, uh, to you know to spread the word and to encourage growers and farmers and everybody to you know to get on board with this it's a way of getting the results across but then there was the personal touch as well as a farmer feedback letter so that every farmer that we did a survey on got a personal letter of of the results for their property so this was a a, a a letter advising them of what we found, whether they had resistance or not resistance. And some of them, we had looked at their herbicide use programs and we gave them a little bit of advice as well as to what they could do to avoid getting herbicide resistance if they didn't have it or what they could do to minimise the impact of what they have got. Here's Denise with another layer, the value of grower involvement. I also think that anything you can do, sorry, um, that encourages that peer-to-peer -peer learning um, yeah. and, and hearing from other growers is going to be incredibly invaluable in that because we are not going to know all the answers. We aren't going to know all of the different ways that 
you know, what could happen. It's that learning from people, other farmers and other growers who understand that context and who understand intimately what works and what doesn't work. That's gold. And anything you can do to to help promote that will also have some nice spin-offs in terms of mental health and well-being because you're getting that social interaction as well. Those are some examples of activities. Then there's choosing the right delivery method or methods. Often we are driven towards digital media. This suits some, but not others. So how do you go about finding the right mix? Denise shares her thoughts. You've thought about who you're trying to target, what the changes that you're requiring, and when you're then putting out a social media campaign or you're doing um, some social media resource or uh, online resources, there's actually some monitoring that's in behind that so that you're going, oh, that didn't go off as much as I thought. Okay, was that the right, wrong timing? You know, was it the actually the wrong audience I, or I didn't signal what we were actually selling, you know, well enough um, mm-hmm. so that you can actually assess that. So I think... Um, I think monitoring and evaluation just has to be in the mix if you're gonna if you're gonna do it because you're never gonna get it right first time as I think you can't expect to get it you know spot on. Um, I also come back to Frank Van Clay's uh, the best extension method is multiple extension methods. Um, Frank Van Clay's from Australia originally written extensively done heaps of research in this extension space and that's his line. Best extension method is multiple extension methods. So there's no silver bullets. So mapping your extension activities and events is directly linked to the first two steps, understanding the change and defining your target audience. From there, you can decide the right mix of delivery methods. The last step, which is interconnected with each of the steps we've mentioned previously, is to monitor and evaluate your efforts. According to Denise, current extension practice often doesn't include monitoring and evaluating. This is a huge missed opportunity. As Denise mentioned in the previous audio cut, monitoring and evaluation can help you identify what's working in your extension program and what's not. For example, have you identified the right audience or the timing of an activity missing the mark? So, what does best practice look like? The short answer is, decide to monitor and evaluate before you start the project. Put together a plan, identify key questions, and start working out how you'll gather that data. If you use Bennett's hierarchy to understand the change required, you can also use the framework to monitor and evaluate your efforts. Then the key is to keep reassessing as you go. Are you collecting data that's showing progress or not? And if not, do you understand why? Do you have a clear sense of whether your mix of delivery is resulting in the intended uptake? Are you talking to people that you don't usually interact with? From there, make sure to amend the plan as you figure out what's working and not working. You don't have to evaluate everything too. If you spend some time planning, you can allocate however much resource you have to get the evaluation data you need. Don't aim to get all the data. Get the most important data first and add to that as your resources allow. Our fourth webinar expert, Dr. Jim Walker, principal scientist at Plant and Food Research, warns that sometimes in an effort to understand if our extension efforts are successful, we can fall into the trap of thinking we need to monitor everything. We make it more complicated than what we need to. So I think part of the success is actually pairing it back to what is needed to make critical decisions in, nice. in your orchard and taking away sort of some of the routine, the 
maybe the nice to have or you don't really need to have. And I mean, I look at some of the um, uh, programs, the sustainability programs around the industry at the moment, thinking, hmm, do we need, really need to be monitoring all that? Who's using that information and what decision is it informing? So keep it simple. And if you can keep it simple, then it's more readily included and becomes an enduring part of everyday business. Ultimately, the more you can plan at the start, the better. It is still possible to learn from an extension project that is kicked off without a monitoring and evaluation plan in place, but it's easier if you start early. So that's it. Four key steps to a successful extension project. Understand the change required. Define your target audience. Map the activities and events. And finally, monitor and evaluate your efforts. We have some excellent resources linked in the podcast notes that are worth checking out too. The first is a collection of extension resources published by Enablers of Change. This includes a great video where Denise and her colleague, John James, explain Bennett's hierarchy, as well as participatory action learning, information integration theory, and how framing messages can help us achieve greater change. We'd also recommend having a look at the Rural Extension Innovation Systems Journal. They publish high-quality articles on extension research and practice relevant to New Zealand, Australia, and the broader Australasia-Pacific region. These articles are mostly focused on the extension aspects of agribusiness systems and natural resource systems. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of the podcast, and we look forward to welcoming you back for the next one. I'm Livia Esterhazy, and this has been the Alighter Touch podcast, where we are sowing the seeds and growing our knowledge base for a sustainable future. Matewa.